That's the same atrocious aftershave you wore in court. Oh, that's not very nice. Why would you say something like that? Oh, I guess I'll go buy a new one. everybody and welcome to another episode of the cinema psych podcast the podcast where psychology meets film i am your host dr alex swan and uh, we've got a great show for you today uh, it's going to be a little bit different and you might be thinking to yourself hmm why didn't they choose the other film in the film series uh, that has Hannibal Lecter. Why didn't they choose Silence of the Lambs? Well, I think one of the reasons, and we'll find out more from our uh, esteemed guest host, uh, is that um, there's a little bit more of legal psychology in uh, Red Dragon than there is in Silence of the Lambs. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. And so we'll explore that, and and perhaps I will uh, challenge our guest to um, d- to the differences between the two films. But before we get into that, I wanted to quickly mention that, uh, much like last episode, that uh, the Patreon tiers are up and running. Uh, if you go to uh, patreon.com slash cinemapsych.com, pod you'll find our tears there and that's a, a a quick and a relatively painless way to support the podcast on a monthly basis uh you'll get a couple of perks depending on what level you choose with the highest tier and this one i think is really great the highest tier is ten dollars a month um and you'll get uh, a cross stitch from uh, my wife Astrid, and she's really good at it. It's a made-to-order cross stitch, uh, and that the 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 ten dollars a month will get you uh, supporting the podcast, and and a really cool cross stitch. Uh, so uh, jump on that one, jump on that one. Uh, but there are lower tiers, of course, one dollar, two dollars a month. Um, to keep the lights going, buy me a cup of coffee, that sort of thing. Uh, to we've got uh, we've got our hosting um, coming due in a couple of months, and um, you know any any little bit helps from our listeners. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, the merchandise store is active through Spreadshirt. You can find the store right on our website, cinemapsychpod.swanpsych.com and just click on store. It'll take you right to there. We have one design right now. I'm, I'm, I'm actually wearing my shirt now and it's a navy blue t-shirt and it's f- really comfortable and it has the orange logo on it. Uh, you know, the logo that is everywhere and <laughs> that is ubiquitous, right? Um, it, it looks great. Um, so if you want to support the podcast by grabbing a t-shirt with the logo on it, please get yours today. Um, I'm running specials in the store all the time. So keep a look at it. It'll be, there'll be a green, uh, there'll be a green, uh, 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 shoppers code at the top of the store right there on just, just beneath the header. Uh, it's probably going to be like 15% off on an ongoing basis uh, just to get the word out. And I'm wearing a shirt around town. I recently uh, completed the AP psych reading uh, advanced placement test. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, we did that at home last week. And I would have loved to have worn this shirt down in Florida where we do the on-site reading. Of course, COVID had has prevented uh, these um, large in-person gatherings, which uh, the AP reading has generally been. Uh, and uh, one day I wore the shirt and I was like, oh man, I wish 
all of my fellow AP buddies, AP psych buddies could see this in case they're not aware of the show. So if you are in AP psych readers, a shout out to all of you for your freaking great hard work last week. So hard, in fact, that we finished a day early in scoring. Like, oh, my God. Uh, and, you know, I, you know sh- maybe share some love. If you are in that group, share some love with uh, the AP Psych readers who may not know about the podcast. That would be fantastic. Uh, spreading the love. And uh, get your shirt today at the merch store. Our film, like I said, is Red Dragon. Red Dragon is a remake of Manhunter, which came out in the the, uh, late 1980s or early 1980s, somewhere around there in the 80s. And uh, it uh, was an adaptation of the book Manhunter uh, that that basically introduced uh, Hannibal Lecter and uh, a couple of other characters that we see in more grandiosity uh, in only a, a couple of years after Manhunter in Silence of the Lambs. You know, uh, Anthony Hopkins in his, I, I would say, his most famous role, in my opinion, it, that is his most famous role. Like if you say Hannibal Lecter, oh, Anthony Hopkins, hands down one of the best performers. And so, so, so creepy in that film, in, in in both films, Silence of the Lambs and our film today, Red Dragon. It's just, he's just, oh, he's icky. He's very icky. I would not want to be in a room with him and just me. Um, I don't even know if I'd feel comfortable with how Ed Norton interacts with him after the intro scene, you know, the, the, the intro bit before the credits. Um, where he figures out that Hannibal Lecter is um, the cooking, uh, the the cannibal, um, becomes Hannibal the cannibal, of course, in um, the, uh, he, he gets named Hannibal the cannibal in the um, opening credits montage. So Red Dragon is actually a, Almost a direct prequel to the events of Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Red Dragon ends with uh, Clarice Starling just coming to visit Hannibal Lecter that you see in in the film. So uh, it's almost a direct prequel. And Edward Norton plays a behavioral profiler with the FBI. And uh, his his job is to catch a serial killer that is seemingly attacking um, women and families in their homes in in a in a couple of states, I believe is what it is. And uh, he needs Hannibal Lecter's help. He needs Hannibal Lecter's help and uh, gets a little bit too close to call or too close to home, really. Uh, with uh, Edward Norton's character and, um, you know, spoiler alerts. It's going to get a little dicey when we talk about, you know, the the what happens to uh, the characters in this film. So, yeah, it's a really, really good film. Uh, again, it is a remake of Manhunter and uh, came out in 2002. Uh, who directed? Oh, Brett Ratner, which is when I saw that Brett Ratner had directed it, I was extremely uh, confused because Brett Ratner, I don't know, he doesn't really make good films. As far as director goes, goes uh, he, he's, not a, he's not one of the prolific directors out there. I do want to give a shout out to uh, Ray Fiennes, who plays the main baddie in this one, the Red Dragon. Uh, he is the titular character. And he is very creepy as well, uh, especially how he treats uh, a um, blind woman, Emily Watson, uh, Reba, and how he treats her. And it's like, get into my van for my pleasure. This is really, really creepy. So, without further ado, let's jump into it. My guest host today 
is returning for round two. Dr. Mark Klippenstein uh, appeared on an earlier episode. We talked about Castaway. If you haven't, if you haven't checked out that uh, episode, please do. Um, Mark, welcome back to the show. How's life in the age of COVID? Um, well, thank you, Alex. Uh, it's good to be back. Let me start with that. And life in the age of COVID is very interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we actually delayed when we were going to uh, do this episode when we, we were going to talk because my kiddo picked up a stomach bug. And of course, my mind spirals out of control. And we ended up at the yeah. hospital and going in for all those things because you have a fever. And, you know, four months ago, it would have been, let's just ride this out and he'll be fine. Um, yeah. not this time we were, we were a little bit more concerned, you know, the doctors were a little bit more concerned. So that's, that's kind of been what that has been like a little bit more on edge, mm-hmm. um, a little bit more cooped up. Um, but you know what? We just roll with it. I get to spend a lot more time at home. I've been working with the kiddos. I got a outside office built so I can go out there and work while he's playing in the yard so that I can't beat that. That that's pretty awesome. Yeah, great. Well, I'm happy to have you back on the program. And we're just going to jump right into this show uh, because I've already uh, given the uh, listeners a little rundown of Red Dragon. So my first question to you is, why Red Dragon? Um, So Red Dragon has been a movie that I've always liked. Um, You know, it is one of those movies that I just like the the setup to it. Um, It came out long enough after Silence of the Lambs that... um, you know, that you had this idea of what Lecter was and who he was. Um, and then from there, um, just building in this backstory. To me, it built in a backstory. And so it's almost like a, 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 not quite an origin story, but an origin story of this whole process. Um, and so that's one of the things I like about it. I like it uh, for that reason specifically, just because it kind of deals with that, that backstory. And I really like the, um, the Will Graham character um Mm -hmm. and 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 that that more rather than a novice idea of um profiler we get this seasoned person that's been doing it for a while sure yeah has that that's been in the field and so that's that's kind of why i like red dragon yeah that and uh Um, just always like that character you bring up a good point uh because profiler is or profiling is is going to be the main topic of discussion that we are going to have um, but before we do get into that, I do have, I think, a very important question um, that I would think that the listeners will have for you. Why Red Dragon and not Silence of the Lambs? Um, for me, the the role of Red Dragon is the role of the profiler it's it's written from the perspective for me it's written from the perspective of someone who's trying to get inside the mind of a killer um i think you know while that's a little bit the case in silence of the lambs i think it's much more driven by um by lector and his controlling of the situation in that environment um and so for me, uh, you know, I, I just I just really feel attached to that idea that Will Graham is the focus mm-hmm. and he's on this he's on this search for this this killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and while there is a little bit of that in The Silence of the Lambs, um, I've always just loved the Red Dragon movie more. I, and, and, and I don't and I, part of it's I'm, a, I'm an Ed Norton fan. OK. Um, and that so that doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, but I've also watched um, like the Manhunter. Sure. Um, which is the original right. version of it. Um, which I didn't find quite as good, um, but I, I really do like the second one. Um, and I just, it just seemed like the right timing for me in terms of that, in terms of those two movies. I really love that prequel idea, that idea of we kind of end, um, you know, at the beginning of the next one. And so it just kind of, it kind of builds into that. And I've always just loved that idea. I just, just love the characters. I love that interaction that, that exists in, in this Red Dragon version. Okay. That's a that's a fair answer, I think. Um, I, and I think you did bring it up in your um, previous answer of why Red Dragon, and I and I I want to say that it it uh, it's has to do more with. I think we can expand on the role of behavioral profiling, psychological profiling, a little bit more. There, I think, is more emphasis on the profiling. Um, but if 
I, I will say um, that I, uh, I probably with my listeners on this one, um, and you're 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 open to di- you're 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 free to to disagree. But if we were thinking of a which one's the better Hannibal Lecter movie, then I think that would be Silence of the Lambs. But which one is the better profiling movie? of a, of another serial killer then yeah I would I will give you Red Dragon on that one because the movies are very similar right the two films are extremely similar yeah um they almost have similar beats um and of course yeah. the overarching plot for both films is that Hannibal Lecter's in prison helping an FBI profiler find another serial killer um, a serial killer that is currently active. Um, it's just that Red Dragon yeah. brings in the added benefit of the of Hannibal Lecter knowing the profiler very intimately, I might add, um, because they almost killed one another. Uh, so, yeah, uh, and you know, you bring up a very and, good and point. A, then, uh, um, just just to build on that, just one a little bit is you know with. With Red Dragon, we see a profiler who's seasoned, who's been doing it. Yeah. That's kind of what they've done. With Silence of the Lambs, we see a novice. And we get to see Lecter do different things with them, although very much in a controlling way in both in both. Yeah, movies, he's right? he tries to master control. manipulator. Yeah, and, and so we get to see that in both movies. Um, and I think it actually, for me, one of the things that speaks to me a lot about that is the idea that that serial murderers are really good at doing what they do, which is manipulating people. Right. And, you know, I've read, I've read a lot of books on this and, you know, you can't not be manipulated by someone like that. Like you think, well, <laughs> even, even as a seasoned, even as a seasoned, you know, investigator, you think why well, I'm, I'm impervious to that level of manipulation. Sure. Not really. You know, even the people that have done this a long time say they're, they're drawn into this personality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I think I'm drawn into the, into this movie is, is just that, that, that interaction and, and that, um, you know, that, that manipulation is really interesting to me from a behavioral psychology perspective. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I recall that you have some uh, legal psych uh, background. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. So when I did my uh, dissertation, it was on jury decision. Right. So okay. how juries make decisions. I do, so. Yeah. From from our yeah. previous episode that we're, yeah. where we chatted about that. So this is a film that is in your wheelhouse somewhat, um, yeah. at, at least wheelhouse adjacent. Right. And so yeah. Yeah. the overarching theme for a film like this would be the forensic psychology aspect of it. Yeah. So how absolutely how um, crime forensics behavioral profiling gets represented from real life into popular media. So obviously serial killers are real um, and we can (laughs) we can explore all the media that is uh, about them, the true crime stories, um, even the non true crime stories uh, about real uh, serial killers, you know, John Wayne Gacy um jeffrey dahmer and all the others those are the only two that i can think of from the top of my head yeah. um but it all which are the two i've read books on by the way yeah <laughs> well i mean i would say that the the they're they're the two most famous american serial killers maybe the zodiac yeah. killer but like we never yeah. identified who that person was um so you know <laughs> at least we knew who these other two guys were right yeah and um you know there's little tidbits here and there but just what I thought was interesting from our, our notes is that um, even there's even little Easter eggs for psychologists in there because you don't hear about this in Silence of the Lambs when you first meet Dr. Chilton, who is played by a very creepy. Uh, what is his name? Um, Can't remember the actor's name. He Anthony healed. Mm. Um, Dr. Chilton, very, very creepy man. Um, so. He's saying in in Red Dragon that once they got Hannibal Lecter into his custody, uh, they give him Rorschach tests and um, he mentions the thematic apperception test. And he just, you know, 
makes child's play of those two tests because um, yeah. what you learn, I think more so in Red Dragon because it's a prequel, what you learn more in Red Dragon is that um, he is a, f- a forensic psychiatrist. He's not collecting body parts. Then why keep them? He's not keeping them. He's eating them. Now listen, we were at Molly's parents for New Year's. And Molly's dad was showing my son Josh how to carve a roasted chicken. He said, the tenderest part of the chicken is the oysters here on the either side of the back. I I had never heard that expression before, oysters. And suddenly, I had a flash of the third victim, Darcy Taylor. She was missing flesh from her back. And then it hit me, liver, kidney, tongue, thymus. Every single victim lost some body part used in cooking. Have you shared this with the Bureau? I, I needed to see you first, but I'm right. I know I'm right. I'm, I'm starting to be able to think like this one. Yeah. It's fascinating. You know, I'd always suspected as much. You are an eye detector. I'm, I'm not psychic, Dr. No, 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 no. This is different. More akin to artistic imagination. You're able to assume the emotional point of view of other people, even those that might scare or sicken you. It's a troubling gift, I should think. How oh, I'd love to get you on my couch. Something still doesn't make sense to me. You're the best forensic psychiatrist I know. And somehow, in all our time together, this possibility never occurred to you. Oh, I'm only human, Well, Perhaps I made a mistake. You don't strike me as a man who makes very many mistakes. Now I'm sorry to think that I might no longer enjoy your full confidence. No, no, I, di- I, I didn't say that. I didn't. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. I, I'm very, very tired. I, I almost had it. Uh, yeah. And so he's assisting uh, Ed Norton's Graham to find serial killers even though he is also one himself and you know what sets off the story was that is will figures out that he's the uh cannibal who's been eating people um and yeah. feeding it to guests and all of that so he knows all of these tricks that dr chilton wants to do and he's not having any of it because as you said he's a manipulator so yeah absolutely to get us into this topic Mark, what? Why is there a fascination with serial murders? You know, for me, I think, um, I think it's the horrificness of the crimes and the fact that they're real. Okay. Um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the, you know, I said I read the book on, uh, I read the John Wayne Gacy one of the books, and I read um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. When you read those, when you read those stories, and you hear what they did. It doesn't seem like it's real, right? And so it it lends itself very much to um a movie plot because it seems so it seems so movie oriented or so movie generated. Mm-hmm. Um but just this idea that someone is out there that there's, you know, 50 to 100 potential serial murders at any given time in the United States, I think wow. is what they usually say. Um uh that they're trying to track down and and go through is that there's people out there like that we just have that is on that are on a completely different level and they're not necessarily um you know they don't they're not psychotic they're very they they have jobs they sometimes have families mm-hmm. um they tend to be good at what they do we see a lot of that in dollar hide um you know he has a job he's good at what he does yeah. um he has some some social graces probably that are that are issues for him um but there's a lot of people that have those issues and aren't serial killers and so yeah. Um, you know, this idea that people are serial murderers and can go from this person that just in one sense looks like everyone else, mm-hmm. but in the other sense, you know, goes through such horrific crime. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting to people. You know, it kind of is maybe I don't know if I'd say catharsis, but it um because it implies people want to go around serial murdering people, and I don't think that's the case. Um, but I, I think it has more to do with this idea that people are drawn into um, this concept of that that it exists, that it's real. Sure. And if we if we do specifically take a look at at Dollarhide, 
um, who is the, I would say, the main antagonistic character in the movie. Um, he's got uh, severe trauma from living with his grandmother. I'm going to go ahead and play that clip here um, where he is working out um, and he's having audio flashbacks to when he was a kid. And the implication is that um, he bedwets uh, and he. Um, it Well, the, the other implication, I guess, is maybe not even just an implication. It's explicit is that his grandmother was an awful human being and treated him like yeah. dirt. So I'm going to play that clip here. I'm sorry, oh, Francis. I've never seen a child as dirty and disgusting as you. Look at you. You're soaking wet. Get out of my bed. No. Go back up to your room. Girl, you're hurting me. Shut up, you filthy little beast. I should have put you in an orphanage, grandson or not. Into the bathroom. Take off your nightshirt and wipe yourself off. Hurry up. Now give me my scissors from the medicine chest. Please, Mo. Take that filthy thing in your hand and stretch it out. Mo, Grandma. Now. Please. Look down. Do you want me to cut it off? Do you? Mo, Grandma. I pledge you my word, Francis. If you ever make your bed dirty again, I'll cut it off. Understand? Good boy. And so what we get from that clip is that he has this childhood trauma that seems to be fueling um, perhaps some additional genetic stuff. Like, we don't really know a lot about psychopathy, but yeah. it's definitely a mixture of, of genetic and environmental stuff, and we do definitely get the environmental stuff. So, um, and he, I would imagine, is a little pyromaniac um, because he does yeah. set uh, the Tatler... Uh, journalist on fire and burns down his house to fake his own yes. death just yeah, to kill will yeah i know just the it's that that whole triad you know they talk about that triad a lot of like serial murderers that they have that you know bad okay. wedding and animal cruelty and, and pyromania that those, All right. th those three things tend to be find a, found a lot in serial in serial murderers when they've looked at their past and a lot of them have had prayer situations of abuse or ne uh, neglect and those kinds of things. So you sure. do see that, you know, bedwetting. And um, you don't see the animal cruelty, but it's kind of implied. For me, it's implied when he has no qualms about killing the, the family's animals. Um, you know, so in each one sure, of the families yeah, that yeah. he kind of he, he, he kind of has no qualms about doing that. Um, and, and I, it, you know, it. It seems weird to say that that someone who can kill a person would have qualms about killing an animal, but sometimes there is that that line there that they that they cross. Sure. Um. And so those th kind of things kind of build into each other, which I which I thought was interesting from the the realistic perspective of of this movie. You know, tying into the how profiling and serial murders probably really do happen. Okay. So that leads me then to the next bit, which is so with a serial killer, there needs to be um, and and. I'm sure most people know the definition of, of a serial killer, but um, a serial killer, generally speaking, is somebody who um, uses the same M.O. to kill multiple victims. Um, and so that then leads to the need for someone who can figure out what the connection is with victims. To see whether yeah. or not a serial killer is what law enforcement is dealing with. Um, and so Absolutely. that's the other side of this coin in this film is the profile. That's Will Graham. He's played by Ed Norton, as I mentioned. Um, so what about um, Will Graham and profiling, um, offender profiling, did you spot in the film? Um, there's a lot, you know, the they're kind of. You know, the FBI was one of the first groups to kind of develop profiling for um, prof uh, the FBI and the CIA. CIA did it more for um, they used to profile uh, world leaders. OK, um, so they'd profile world leader before, um, you know, our president or our um, ambassadors would meet with those people gotcha. so they can kind of get an idea of how they can interact with them. Um, but the FBI did the same thing with with these these individuals that were serial murderers. 
Um, and so the FBI kind of developed this idea of, um, of, of how you look at and, and classify uh, serial murderers. And you see that right away with Will, right? So right away, he's, he's working with Lecter in that very first scene, and he's talking about that profile um, right from the beginning for, for, that, that, you know, for, the, for the actual Lecter character, right? Lecter is committing these murders, mm -hmm. injects himself into uh, the investigation, which is something also that, um, that occasionally happens. We saw that with mm -hmm. like the Son of Sam sending letters um to the news um right. the zodiac killer right um very much they they feed off of that that public that publicity aspect of it sure um but you see that with lector um and um you know very very quickly you see that okay will is talking about he's talking about the killer he starts to develop this profile of of who it probably is and then he says that he's wrong right he says yeah. you know what? i think we got this wrong uh, i i was thinking about it and all of a sudden it pops into his head. He's like, I don't think we got it right. And he was surprised that Lecter also had it wrong. And that's because Lecter, of course, is manipulating him and leading him down the wrong, wrong, wrong road. Right. Um, and while they're meeting in that first scene, he sees, um, I think it's a, like a recipe book. Yes. Um, for sweetbreads. Um, and then he realizes that, hey, this is um this is the person that we're looking for because he just a m moment before had said hey um i think the person we're looking for is actually eating these individuals and then he makes that connection with lecter and so you see yeah. him on the spot make changes to his profile and i think that's really what what draws me in is that profilers are about finding the the best road through evidence not necessarily okay. the only road um and so as they're moving through things they're trying to adapt and, and develop and it changes a lot, right? So from one moment to the next, um, their ideas change. So as new evidence comes in, as more crimes come in, you're changing what that person is like mm -hmm. because you're getting more information. Mm -hmm. And you see that right away with, with Will. And you see that when he's talking with Crawford, the Harvey Keitel character, um, when they're yeah. on the beach, he's talking again about a profile uh, for... Um, you know the profile of the of, of the dollar hide killer the the tooth fairy killers they're they're talking about what this person probably is mm -hmm. um and some of the characteristics you know the fact that he smashes the mirrors mm -hmm. the fact that he um kills the family and 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 obviously is scoping them out and brings stuff with him to the crimes all of that is part of that profile right of organization that you see going on with will in this movie yeah, and I, it's very methodical. Uh, profiling is very methodical. Um, it gets, I would say, the closest thing that I am most media consumers have for, with profiling is Criminal Minds, right? Um, but because those are yeah. like 40-some-minute episodes, the, the methodical nature of the profiling um, doesn't, doesn't necessarily lend itself to that short form um, delivery, right? Um, not to say that Criminal Minds isn't a good show or a bad show. It's just that the way that time it needs to advance, it gets shrunk down quite a bit for the show that you can explore a little bit more in the film and like actually see the progression of time and the fact that it's not really stated but Will's traveling back and forth between cities constantly, going from yeah. crime scene to crime scene, back to Quantico in Virginia, back to the crime one of the crime scenes in Alabama. And I think there's one in in um, Georgia, Georgia or, or Florida somewhere. Uh, Baltimore, yeah. Baltimore, oh, Baltimore. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. he's constantly going from from place to place. Oh yeah, and then in in Baltimore. Um, is where uh, uh, Lecter is at a uh, psychiatric institution, um, a uh, psychiatric prison, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's constantly traveling and he's putting all of these things together. He's trying to get into the head. Now, how real is that? How real on a, on, in, in a profiling sense is like going to the crime scenes and trying to get in the headspace and the physical space 
of the serial killers. Um, a lot of these profilers end up being, um, uh, they tend to work really closely with the, with, with, with the, with the police or the FBI. Sure. Um, and so I think there's some truth to that. I don't think, I don't think that any psychologist or anybody would be let loose in a, in an active crime scene. <laughs> um, they probably have to deal with it more through because that well the the first one they just like hey here's the key to the place go there in the middle of the night and check it out. Yeah, um, that was know, strange. But, but Will Graham is also a little bit different. Yeah, that you know those kinds of things are are the movie version of that. Sure. Right. I think it would be a lot more sitting in a sitting at a desk looking through. And looking through all this stuff, looking through the crime scenes, looking through the evidence, going through that stuff, um, but not necessarily going through um, and not necessarily traveling to every one of these places. Now, it might be that seeing the actual location does help. Um, yeah. And, and I'm sure there is probably some of that as well, because it to me, you know, um, at that crime scene where he climbs up the tree and realizes, yeah, hey, he, he was sitting here watching. That's what crime. I was thinking. You know, he's carving into the tree. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, in that sense, I think that's I think that's probably a lot of movie part of it. Um, but I also think they're trying to get into these people's heads. Yeah. Um, and so to get in these people's heads um, and once they're I think once they're involved with with one of these crimes, they're also probably acting fairly quickly because they know the site. They, they're trying to figure out the cycle of when these murders happen, because they usually tend to work on a cycle and they usually work on a, a decreasing cycle. So the that it tends to speed up a little bit over time. Okay. Um, with, with the tooth fairy and dollar hide tends to be on that lunar cycle. So he's specifically for whatever reason attached to that lunar cycle. And that, that that's one of those things that seems to come out of the blue for me. I don't think it needed to be that way, but I think as a movie trope, it kind of gave us a, a three week period for all this stuff to occur and for them to get ready <laughs> for the next one. Sure. And then you know when it's going to occur, right? So, oh, it's happening on the full moon. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so you know when it's going to happen and you have a timeline that it, that's nicely fit. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's part of it. Um, trying to figure out where these crimes are happening. That's kind of that geographical profiling. They look at that. One of the things they look at is, sure. hey, they, um, when they, when they, when they capture um, the, the Tatler reporter, or when Dollarhide kidnaps him, mm -hmm. they say, well, he's got him, he's been killed, and it's been within this six-hour period, here's how far he could be right. from this location, because there's too late to get a flight, and so he has to right. be able to drive, and so you can kind of locate generally where this stuff is occurring. Sure, That's yeah. geographical profiling. Um, with Lecter, you see, um, you know, having Lecter come in is not that unusual, because that's more uh, clinical psych profiling. That's another type of profiling, sure. is that... Uh, where a clinician kind of draws on their inferences and their expertise about those kinds of things. Um, and then that data-driven approach, looking at, you know, what things are happening with different victims and when are they occurring, what is, you know, a disorganized and organized killer, mixed killer. Um, and those are those, you know, we see with Dollarhide this idea that um, he's very organized, but he has very disorganized moments. Mm -hmm. um and so it's kind of a little mix uh, mix of both and that's one okay. of the fbi approaches they kind of classify classify how they're going through this how they how they organize their crime scenes you know are they prepared are they showing up with so everything ready to go let's take that all of that goes into that profiling let's take that uh idea and and uh expand on dollar hide so what are the aspects that you would okay. uh, let, let's let's make you mark lippenstein a fbi profiler now um, what are the aspects of Dollar Hyde's crime scenes that are organized and which and, and what are disorganized about them? Um, I think the organized ones are the fact that he brings a lot of the tools with him. OK, so he scoped out the places. OK, um, you know, we learn later on that he's doing that through the the VHS tapes, which um, dates you know, I this love, film I love dated. Yeah, yeah. Dates this film um, really dates this film. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a tool, um, a tool that doesn't exist now. I don't think a killer like that could come around now, but that's completely different <laughs> aside. Um, Hey, you're, you're doing great in this that, profiling. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he, he actually does a great, uh, you know, he uses that tool of scoping out the family. So he knows the family, he knows that there's a dog there. He knows he goes the day before and kills the dog to get rid of it. Cause he doesn't want to be found out. Yeah. Right. He goes and scopes out. He brings a lock cutter to to the one place. He brings the glass cutter to the other place. And it ends up being wrong. 
um, for the one crime scene because they changed their door. Mm -hmm. right? So they can't cut the deadbolt. Um, and so he has to break in. So he has to uh, revamp. Um, and it alerts them. Things, um, he, yes, absolutely. It alerts them to that, that situation. Um, he also loses his, you know, that moment when he's trying to connect with his coworker. I think his, her name is Reba. Uh-huh. Um, the, she the is blind, blind coworker. Mm -hmm. Um, when he kind of goes on it. Yeah. And when she goes, when he goes out on a, uh, a date with her, um, and then he, she ends up at his place. Um, and that next morning he has, he's hearing those voices again, right? He's, he's, he's having that, you know, that, I don't know if I'd call it a psychotic break, but he has that that moment of um, another character coming in on him, that red dragon character mm -hmm. kind of pushing him mm -hmm. to do things that I don't think he wants to do. Um, and so you see a little bit of that disorganization there. So being very controlling over a crime scene, mm -hmm. but then not being able to control what he does in some of those other situations are, you know, um, almost killing himself at that one point. Um, so you kind of see a little bit of, uh, of both of that um, psychotic breaks and, and, um, I think he would fall in that mixed category from that those two things. Mixed category is from uh, from uh, the FBI profiling perspective. Or, yeah, the FBI FBI, FBI pro approach where that more organized, disorganized. Where do they fall? And it makes sense, right? Someone who is, I think we all fall in those categories. Mm -hmm. I think you know someone can be a very organized person, someone can be a disorganized person, and so if you're organized in a lot of other parts of your life, that's probably how you're going to um commit murder if you were doing that right if you're a very well thought out person you're gonna you're gonna focus on those things um and, and i just think that's a personality characteristic that maybe follows through and then there's people that have moments of both um because you know it's it's dichotomous in terms of how they or of how they of how they're looking at it but i don't think it's really a dichotomous characteristic that's fair that's fair so with that in mind um, great segue that we can we can take from that is um, is profiling scientific? Um, I would say there's some there's elements of it that are, but as a whole, I don't think it is. I think it's a lot of hunches, a lot I of guessing, it's a lot of hunches that and a lot of guessing. Um, and, and you know when you read through a lot of this stuff, the best profilers tend to be people who have dealt with criminals a lot. Um, so ex-police officers who then go on through training and okay. more of that um, that Clarice type character that you see in the Silence of the Lambs, right? She's just starting out, but she um, is coming more through the um, the FBI training program. And so she's coming more through that police officer uh, role. Um, and so the best ones tend to be those individuals because they have both sides. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's, um, you know... I think it's a lot of hunches and those hunches are built into the more crimes you see, the more things you see, you're getting more of those hunches. So there is some science to it. They've done. Would we, would we know, then, would we then call it, um, uh, science adjacent? Because it sounds a lot like, uh, a lot of in, in a lot of, uh, abductive reasoning or to start off with some inductive reasoning and then following that up with some abductive reasoning. So um, we can call it science adjacent then, right? I, absolutely. I, I think yes. I think it, it definitely has those science components. Sure. Um, because I think you can use some of that data, right? The idea that people can only travel so far or that people tend to have certain characteristics, personality characteristics that are linked together. Mm -hmm. that, um, those things that you can demonstrate some science behind are definitely you. Okay. Yeah. Um, where it falls apart is I don't think that you can necessarily plug this in and have a profile pop out of, you know, uh, some generator. Although, you know, we're getting really good at modeling. Our modeling, our statistical modeling is is getting a lot better. And we we can kind of we can kind of develop those things. And so maybe in 20 years, 30 years we will be able to do more of those things. We'll I, I would imagine the FBI we'll is working on um, computational AI to to uh, yeah. to model the, who the next <laughs> serial killer might be. Or, yeah. or you plug in um, the information that you need or the information that you know and um, you like say, okay, I have all of these X's. Tell me my Y's. Um, and 
you'll you end up with you end up with a I'm gonna spit you out a a more fuller profile than all of your exes combined, right? It's now yeah, it's now a meshing of the exes. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm sure there <laughs> is some AI being developed right now that can help profilers just plug stuff into a program and then boom. You're not gonna get a name, but you're gonna get you're gonna get a, a picture of a human that all yeah. you need to do is slap a name on, right? Yeah. Well, and it, you know, a lot of these profilers profiles are used after the fact more than they are during, right? So the profile they're developing is leading them towards on who to look at. Sure. And so it's 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 helping them build hunches, right? So they're they're yeah. looking at a profile and they say, hey, this is probably a single male. He's probably you know, someone like in, in, in this movie, like someone who has maybe a facial deformity because the mirrors. And so that at the very end of the movie leads them to who actually Dollar Hyde is. Once they get to the place that Dollar Hyde is, the, the, I can't remember the name of the company, Chloromac. Uh, um, anyway, it doesn't matter. The movie uh, company. Um, once they get there and they say, this is who we're looking for, mm-hmm. they immediately know who it, e- it is. That's, I think, what the role of a profile is. Not necessarily to find everyone in a giant haystack, okay. but when you've got the haystack you're looking for and the smaller pieces that you can kind of say, hey, who, do, who should I look at out of this group of 20 people, our group of 100 people, and how does, how does that get me to that right person? As opposed to how do I get them out of the entire city of Baltimore? Like it's, that's, a, that's a lot harder yeah, thing to do. I like your haystack analogy. It's like d- out of 20 haystacks, um, I know which haystack to find the needle because now I have a little magnet telescoping magnet pen, right? With a magnet, I can grab yeah. that needle from that haystack. Absolutely. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Definitely. All right. Um, so uh, <laughs> this kind of, this movie, Silence of the Lambs, um, not so much Hannibal because that's a different kind of movie. That's a different kind of story. It's also garbage. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um and and shows like Criminal Minds, why do people and especially, you know, students, um, traditional college age students, you know, 18 to, to, to early 20s or whatever, love this profiling thing? I, I've had conversations with my students who are like, yeah, that's kind of what I want to do. Or I'll have prospective high school students come in who are, are just about to start uh start their freshman year in college like well what do you want to you know you ask them traditional questions well what do you want to do with the psych degree and then a lot of people will say i i really love the show criminal minds i want to be a profiler so what's this fascination with profiling um again i think it leads to this idea that a lot of people pigeonhole psychology into a very few small chunks right yeah um they don't see someone who's a cog psych they don't see someone who's like my legal stuff legal psych stuff dealt with you know jury decision making it had nothing to do with profiling but that's what they want to learn about every time i teach forensic psychology that's what they want (laughs) to know about that's you know i got i I get one or two students a year that come in and say this is what i want to do and i have have to kind of break their hearts a little bit and say you know what it's you know, one to two percent of, uh, you know, it's very small percentage of these crimes are ever used a profiler that are these like serious crimes, not even regular crimes. We're talking about serious serial murderers to use these profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very few. And then it's not necessarily a job, right? It's not like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. You're usually doing something. You're working for the behavioral analysis unit. You're doing other mm-hmm. things. But this idea of profiling really doesn't exist in its in its true in its true form that they show on TV gotcha. where they have seven or eight people sitting around gotcha. profiling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's, I think it's glamorous, right? I yeah. think it's like, well, I don't want to do, I don't want to do clinical psych, but I want to do something else. And, and I think they, I think they get into it because it is very much popularized in the media, right? With the criminal mind show, every, every, you know, current movie that has a serial murderer in it has some sort of profiler involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with like Alex Cross um, and the books yeah. and with Morgan Freeman and, and even um, a lot of those, a lot of those stories that get made into movies or like seven in them and it makes it seem like, yeah, our seven. Yeah. Seven's a great, a great example. Yeah. Um, and so it seems like it's a more 
it's a, it's a more popular job than it really is. And I think that's what draws them in. It just seems exciting to them. Um, I think uh-huh. it probably will be a lot more tedious and it'd probably be a lot more stressful than, than you really think it is. And, and in fact, in that very opening scene with Will, <laughs> you actually see him fall apart, right? He ends up in a psychiatric institution. He, um, you know, he quits his job. He's stressed out. He's, he doesn't want to keep doing this. These are missable moments. Put himself, and he's really good at it. And he puts, yeah, 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 exactly. And it's only when I watch this movie multiple times that you catch these things, right? I rewatched yeah. that intro scene. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bunch of just before um, you see. It's a bunch of um, newspaper clippings and things over the credits or under the credits, I should say. Yeah. And so these yes, are missable yeah. moments. If yeah. you're not so looking at the credits, if you don't care and you can't catch everything because it does go pretty fast, um, you will miss yeah. that. Uh, you know, he had a, a breakdown and, um, you know, after he got stabbed and and uh, leaves the FBI uh, and then there's interesting tidbits about how Hannibal is named the can or nicknamed the cannibal and all of that stuff. So, yeah, missable moments. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually love those in movies. That's one of my favorite parts of movies is to go back and watch those missable missable moments. I I also always watch a movie with the with the uh, subtitles on. Oh yeah, never well, watch that's a movie what, without them. Yeah, we, we, um, I think that's the new normal for yeah. a lot of people. It's like I gotta have subtitles. Yeah, I just want to know what's going on. I want to know what's on that phone call, even if it has nothing to do with what's going on. I want to know what's in that phone call. I want to know who's talking. Um, or I want to know about the news report because sometimes that news report that's on the background is telling you a part of that backstory that if you don't know what's going on, sure. you miss something. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I like that we find out later on that that all the newspaper clippings was the tooth fairies in his book. Yeah, right? his journal book. Yeah, mm-hmm. his journal book, and so. Um, you know, this idea of, of obsession, because I think a lot of I think I probably would say all serial killers have an obsession of some type, whether mm-hmm. it's a person, whether it's an idea, whether it's a concept. And you really see that with with the Tooth Fairy and Dollar Hide is this obsession, of, uh, you know, with with Lecter, um, with Will Graham mm-hmm. and, and all these kind of things going on. You really do see that obsession. Yeah, I, I agree. So you've mentioned some of these already but what other weaknesses of profiling would you uh would you just share with the listeners and then also like you know what what um aspects are sort of um embiggened in the film a little a little uh exaggerated in the film um the i think it's poorly defined as a discipline (laughs) like we say this it's a profiling but we really don't it's called different things, whether it's criminal profiling, offender profiling, crime profiling, has a million different names. So there's not really a defined idea of what profiling is. I, I just think it's this idea. Um, and it's relatively new, um, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, it's kind of been developing. <laughs> new. And so it is. Re- yeah, I, I, well, it's, it seems new. Okay. Relatively, relatively. <laughs> depending on your age, it's relatively new. Um, you know, this idea that it can and it should be uh scientific but i don't know if it reaches that benchmark i don't think it does yet i don't think it i think it can be i think you're right i think moving more towards this ai idea that it it's gonna we can teach a computer to learn what a what a criminal mind is that maybe we'll be able to find it a little bit easier very uncommon um like i said um about two percent of all forensic psychologists will ever engage in offender profiling and that's a small job description anyways um so they're just it just doesn't happen very often and that's always blown up in movies right it always seems like every major crime has a profiler there's probably a handful of profilers that are really good across the entire country and they probably do most of these crimes right they probably these big crimes are, yeah big crimes and go around yeah um it's not like every police station has their own profiling of official profiler um there's a lot of uh there's not a lot of empirical research on the effectiveness right so does it work? Are we actually finding this criminals that we would not do mm-hmm. if we weren't just following the the evidence and 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 that? Um, and that's what a lot of the critics say is, you know, what are we really profiling? Or are we just following the evidence yeah. that we normally would do? Okay. Um, and that's that kind of makes it fall apart a little bit. Um, and you see a lot of that in the movie, right? All of that stuff, like it's 
seems like it's a big job. It seems like it's really important. Yeah, they have um, to go get you know. Will for it. And he's like, I'm yeah. out. And they're like, but you need to you need to come help us. And he's like, but I'm out. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of the it's one of the favorite movie uh, tropes. Right. Again, it's this idea that they, you know, almost got out and they're pulling me back in. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. it's like, uh, you know, it's because it's so it's so dangerous and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it is, you know, it, uh, we you had this con- we had this conversation. I hope I'm not ruining anything for you, but um, you had said something about how indestructible Will is. At the end of the movie, he's on a sailboat. He's been shot. He's yep. been stabbed. He's been uh-huh. he's an indestructible yep. individual. Um, uh, th- can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Um, wh- why do you Why do you think they make him so indestructible? Like, why do you think they they build that into the movie as such an indestructible character? Uh, well, from a, I would say from a filmmaking standpoint, um, he is supposed to be the protagonist hero and they do not set up any other part of the story where any sort of danger to him will lead to his demise, if that makes sense. So there's no foreshadowing. There's no, there's no storytelling that you would go, okay, well, well, his character has to die for some sort of growth to occur. Um, and I don't catch that. You don't, you don't see that in the film. He is a straight laced guy. Yeah. He has some, he does have some hangups and his, uh, um, relationship with Hannibal Lecter is are by far some of the best scenes in the movie, but just because Anthony Hopkins is, is such a good Hannibal Lecter. Um, and so you, you feel that tension there, but nothing about him and dollar Hyde is like, okay, well dollar Hyde's going to end up getting the upper hand on him. That's, I mean, the entire film and the plot is moving toward, uh, the fact that will, will catch dollar Hyde. Yeah. For me, it also seems a little bit like they put him on the same level as Lecter, right? Lecter seems indestructible. Lecter seems uncatchable, even though he's caught. He sure, yeah. He's manipulating. Uh-huh. And so they almost, for me, they almost make him his equal. Um, yeah, just in the, the scene the where they first, uh, where they first meet, well, they uh, meet again for the first time um, in the uh, psychiatric prison. Um, and I'll play that clip here because I think it's so good. Did you get my card? I got it, thank you. So nice of the Bureau's crime lab to forward that. They wouldn't give me a home address. Dr. Bloom sent me your article on surgical addiction in the Journal of Forensic Psychiatry. And? Very interesting, even to a layman. You say you're a layman. But it was you who caught me, wasn't it, Will? Do you know how you did it? I got lucky. I don't think you believe that. It's in the transcript. What does it matter now? Doesn't matter to me, Will. I need your advice, Dr. Lecter. Birmingham and Atlanta. You want to know how he's choosing them, don't you? I thought you'd have some ideas. I'm asking you to tell me what they are. Why should I? There are things you don't have. Research materials, maybe even computer access. I'd speak to the chief of staff. Ah, yes, Dr. Chilton. Gruesome, isn't he? He fumbles at your head like a freshman pulling at a panty girdle. If you recall, Will, our last collaboration ended rather messily. You get to see the file on this case. And there's another reason. I'm all ears. I thought you might enjoy the challenge. Find out if you're smarter than the person I'm looking for. Then by implication, you think you're smarter than I am. Since it was you who caught me. No, I know I'm not smarter than you. Then how did you catch me? You had disadvantages. What disadvantages? You're insane. 
You're very tanned, Will. And your hands are so rough, not like a cop's hands anymore. And that shaving lotion is something a child would select. Has a little ship on the bottle, does it not? And how is young Josh and the lovely Molly? They're always in my thoughts, you know. You will not persuade me with appeals to my intellectual vanity. I don't think I'll persuade you at all. You either do it or you won't. Is that the case, Val? Yes. With photos? Let me keep them and I might consider it. No. Do you dream much, Will? Goodbye, Dr. Lecter. You haven't threatened to take away my books yet. Give me the file, then. And I'll tell you what I think. Lecter says, well, you caught me. And so, by implication, that means that you are better than me. So, I mean, they're building... Yeah, yeah, the the story's building Will up to be this sort of indestructible guy. And I gotta say, it is... um, It is really weird that he survives. Why? I think he... So, he gets stabbed in the spleen. Um or pancreas somewhere around there uh and you know he's bleeding out (laughs) he can't put pressure on his wound it doesn't make any sense he should have died um and then he gets shot like three or four times but apparently misses important stuff like uh, really come on now yeah, it's it's it it is it is kind of unbelievable at the end. Uh, is this you know that the final scene is him on that sailboat, just perfectly fine, just back to his Florida life. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And I was just, really, <laughs> dude, you'd be walking with a limp. You'd have like shoulder pain. Come on, you're not riding on a sailboat. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. So, any other uh, points about the film that you wanted to bring up, Mark? Um, I, you know, I just, I like it. I, I like it from the perspective that when, when I deal with, um, you know, when, when I've taught a forensic psych class and it's been a while since I've did, did one in person, a lot of it ends up online. And so we don't tend to have these conversations, but I do have a movie analysis and some people choose this movie. Um, oh, okay. You know, I used it to talk about, I used it to talk about profiling, you know, just to talk about all, everything that we've talked about. Cause sometimes they can they need to see it as this glamorous thing before you can kind of let them know what it really is. And I think that's what the movies do, right? That's what a movie does in most instances. Like even if you're, and it doesn't matter what job you are, you know, when, when I watch a professor in a movie, I'm like, that's not (laughs) what a professor is. Like, I don't know. I don't know who that guy is, but why is his office like five times my office? It's that, that's what Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it just makes everything, everything glamorous. Everything's more glamorous than the movies. Um, and, and it's not any different with profiling. It's just that students don't have another example of that, right? They can watch an Indiana Jones and see what a professor's office looks like. They can come into our office and says, oh, that's not how they live. Um, <laughs> but they don't necessarily come across a, a profiler, right? So this right. is their, this is their view of what a profiler Unless is. Unless they are a serial killer and they are running from that profiler. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is, that is very true. <laughs> Well, thanks to Mark Lippenstein for joining me to discuss Red Dragon. While saying goodbye, Mark, is there anything that you'd like to plug uh, where folks can find out more about your work, your life, your farm? Um, we, I do have a Facebook page. Um, we, uh, it's McGehey Hereford Farms. If anyone wants to check us out and you want to buy some cattle, we got that. Um, it's just Mark Lippenstein on Facebook. I, I, I post a lot of stuff about my life. I'm on there if anyone's interested in checking me out. Um, starting to get into Twitter and some of the other things. I am a I'm a little bit older, so I'm I'm still breaching some of those areas. But that's fair. Um, trying to I'm actually teaching a class this summer on social media, and I picked that so I can force myself to learn a little bit more um, <laughs> to to jump in there and get get some more knowledge on some of those things. So. Excellent. Well, Mark, thanks again for for coming by and uh, chatting about Red Dragon. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, listener, you've been listening to this podcast for either an episode, this one, or multiple episodes. So I've got a fun challenge for you to get our chatting flowing just a little bit more. 
Let us know on our socials, Facebook or Twitter, what your favorite episode has been in the past year. This episode marks nearly a year in production, and that boggles my mind because uh, that is a level of commitment that I wasn't sure I could keep moving into the fall semester last year, into the spring and the spring of COVID, really. Um, 16 regular episodes, or 17 if you count the introduction episode that I started back in July of 2019. So, what I want to know is, what episode or episodes have your favorite films that we've discussed, your favorite discussions, or moments of the show? Uh, I'd also like to hear what films you'd like to see us do in the next year. So, we're going to uh, steam right through, steamroll right through this next coming year. We're going to keep producing podcasts every three weeks. What would you like us to talk about? What would you like this show to talk about? There are a lot of films out there. Which glaring holes in psych film have we missed in this first year? We are definitely open to suggestions here at the podcast. Again, let us know these things on our Facebook page or at us on Twitter, Mark. (laughs) And please keep sharing and spreading the love. We appreciate all the support. And until next episode, thanks for listening.